The Square Peg Podcast. Mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. Not all of us look the way the world expects us to look, think as the world expects us to think, or arrive at our destination the way the world expects us to. On the Square Peg Podcast, we give a voice to mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and here are their stories. Thank you to the Searchlight Needles for getting us started as always. The hashtag needles aren't just a quartet of middle-aged, overweight, and balding El Pasos. Robert Martinez, Josh Smith, Adrian Ortiz, and David Sines are four really fantastic guys who hold down jobs and take care of families during the week, and they rock out on the weekends. You can find them on the web at www.searchlightneedles.com. You can find them on Facebook, and you can download their album on all streaming services. And now, here's a message from one of the sponsors who make this program possible. Heath Johnson, owner of Camino Tattoo Studio, has been a professional licensed tattoo artist in Las Cruces since 2000. He does everything from American traditional to photorealistic tattooing, and he works by appointment only. Email him today to get your custom tattoo. You can find him at CaminoTattooStudio.com or from the bio in the link at www.CaminoTattooStudio.com. Of course, you can also find Camino Tattoo Studio on Instagram and Facebook. And just a little personal note for me, um, turning 48 here real soon, didn't get my first tattoo until about two years ago. And um, while Keith didn't do that one, he's done three since then. And uh, I've been going through this kind of transition, you know, in my later 40s, if you will, and uh, made some changes to my fitness, to my, my supplementation and my diet. And I've seen some big changes in my body. And I'll tell you, I've never loved my body. I probably never will. But with the changes I've made and the artwork that Keith has uh, been able to put on my body, learning to hate it a little bit less every day. So if you want to be uh, like me and get some good artwork on you, give give Keith a, an email uh, and, and go get your the tattoo. Square Peg Podcast. So my name is Andrew Lawrence, and I'm the host of the Square Peg Podcast. And with me here is Dave MacArthur. And you are the host of? Host of Toasting the Classics podcast. Completely different format, completely different show. So. Now, of course, my listeners know what the Square Peg podcast is all about. And this is what we're calling a crossover episode. Yeah. We've been talking about doing this for a while, and we just barely squeezing it in by the hair of our yeah. eggs. Um, I like to think of myself as the Harlem Globetrotter showing up on Scooby-Doo today. A little crossover. <laughs> I, to, like, uh, I like Don that. Don Knotts maybe won't be here today. Yeah, so Dave and his family are moving to New York City next week in, in like eight days from now. So we've been talking about this since last summer, and we, we finally made it happen. Um, of course, Dave, I'm familiar with your podcast. I've listened to a couple episodes. For the okay. Square Peg podcast listeners, why don't you tell us about Toasting the Classics? So Toasting the Classics is a podcast where we take something, anything that people call a classic, we talk about it, we drink something that's inspired by the purported classic, and then we decide whether it deserves to be included as a classic in the future. So pretty simple format. We just chat. We talk about the book or the movie or the whatever, and we have a drink. So are we crossing over our formats today? Are we sort of blending today? Well, it's honestly, this is going to be, so this is the way I've looked at the crossover format. We're drinking during the show, which I don't do. I have yet uh, to do. Um, right. was going to do that with a friend of mine who, who, who kind of backed out of being on the show. He had some reservations about talking about the stuff that, that he initially wanted to talk about. But he said, hey, can we do a Joe Rogan-like podcast? I said, well, oh. what do you mean? Be douchey and like spread half-truths <laughs> and conspiracy theories? No, 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 I'm just kidding. Yeah. He said, no, I want to drink. And so I had it all set okay. up. And of course, sense. he backed out. Does no. Joe Rogan drink on his podcast? All the time. Oh, I didn't know They that. blaze, they smoke, oh, okay. and he probably drops shrooms. I, I never like, listen, so I don't know. But Yeah, so, so the crossover part is we're doing this together. Um, we're using your 
kind of format or theme. Right. We're, we're reading a book. We're reading some short stories by um, one of my favorite American authors, Edgar Allan Poe. We'll read some of his short stories. We'll talk about some of his short stories and some of his poems, and then we'll talk about him. Um, and, so we're doing and, him sort of as a whole. We're not really doing any particular work, although we covered a couple of spe- well, specific ones. We didn't read anything really long. No, uh, no. I, it's funny. We, you know, I don't know. We've talked about this. I don't know if we talked about this with, you know, your wife, of course. Uh, oh, it, otherwise, it, I guess we should mention Dave's wife, Karina Arbatova MacArthur, was my season three season finale, if you guys remember. No, I, yeah, I listened to that. I've listened to all your episodes, actually. So, uh, I know damn, now I feel like bad because I've, mine, so I've heard fine, like two yeah. of yours and yeah. you've listened to all of mine. <laughs> but no, so the, the way we roped this into it being a square peg is that Edgar Allan Poe is quite the oddball. That's certainly um, true. That's certain. I thought you were going to try to figure out how I'm a square peg because I consider myself sort of a round peg. I'm I'm pretty much exactly what you see. You're is what basically you get. you're you're a blue eyed American That's guy right. with with this, your Oriole zip up jacket. That's right. Um, your general impression of where does Poe rank with you among your favorite American authors? Among my favorite authors, um, I have a lot of respect for Poe. I haven't read him in a long time. We did some reading of Poe uh, in high school and maybe even younger years some of the stories, and I have a very vivid memory of my parents used to get me these children's illustrated classics books when I was a kid, and I mean, I was like eight years old, and they got me this Poe anthology with, with illustrated classics, and I read it, and it scared the pants off. It was like, it really was like the Telltale Heart was in there for little kids. Yeah, we're going to Telltale Heart. And, how is anything of Poe for little kids? Uh, it, it isn't. There was The Fall of the House of Usher. There was, um, there was The Telltale Heart. All of those were like hard for me to get through. They upset me so much when I was reading them when I was seven or eight years old or whatever it was. But anyway, so those left an impression, that's for sure. I, you know what's funny is I remember reading The Gold Bug. I remember Gold Bug closed out the book I had, and I was so happy because it was so much more enjoyable and fun Well, than the other you know, the other thing is the, the – so the, the – Poe documentary that I watched a little bit of today that I actually watched last summer as well when we first started talking mm-hmm. about this episode, something that I didn't know, apparently a third of his works are, are comedic. Uh-huh, yeah. I think it's actually closer to half. I think it's about half and half are considered comedic. Half is half are, half are a comic tone and half are the horror tone. I think what we read, almost entirely horror tone. Yeah, and I don't... Goldbug you know, is more comedic, I think. It's a little more fun. I don't even, honestly don't even remember. I remember... You know, having ADD, it was really difficult for me to to uh, to do a lot of the this type of reading mm-hmm. when I was growing up. And where, one thing I was going to mention, talking about Karina, you know, she's Ukrainian, close enough uh, geographically and ethnically to, to to Russian. You and I have the same alma mater, George Mason University. I majored in history. We didn't officially have to have a concentration of study, but I did take several semesters in modern and revolutionary Russia. And oh, okay. I find an interesting. What's the word I'm looking for? I really do love Russian literature. Okay, but it's long as shit. The books are all like 900 pages, and I have uh, ADD. They tend to be. They tend to be. So it makes yeah. it really difficult for me to read. Now, one of the reasons yeah. actually that I was attracted to doing Poe for this episode is that reason because they're short stories, and I find his short That's stories. That's a philosophy of his that that a book should, that a work should be able to be read in one sitting. No unnecessary words. Every word moves the story forward. Everything he writes should be read in one sitting. And I can't think of any examples. Goldbug was a little longer, but that was pretty breezy read. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably we're talking about thirty pages, which actually oh, okay. isn't necessarily right. that long. I, you know, along no, the lines of long, no. along the lines of Russian literature, I got a book of uh, Chekhov short stories. Yeah, which I hate because you know what? I like things <laughs> to be wrapped in a neat little ball. Like I like to I like it to follow that typical. 
whatever I, I from I can't remember from English class, but it has this right. typical flow of like you know you introduce your characters, you you set up your dilemma or your what's the what's the um it's not the dilemma the conflict the conflict yeah. and then it reaches it reaches its crescendo and then have like uh-huh. you have your little afterward part and Chekhov doesn't close up anything neatly. No, you're meant to interpret everything that he writes. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, I did a Gogol uh, collection of short stories recently. Same thing. None of it was very clear what, exactly what was happening. Although it had a tone similar to Poe, actually. There were some scary, kind of creepy, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like kind of macabre, like broody, superstitious type stories. Similar similar tone, actually. Well, I don't, um, you know, that's the other thing that I think is kind of interesting. If there, if one thing that I've never been good at, well, there were a lot of things I wasn't good at in school. I mean, the, the attention deficit disorder. You know, we I think we've talked about this. Are we drinking as we go, by the way, or should we introduce the drinking and then talk about it, or are we just? Are you? Uh, you as you can you see, started? I've made a little bit of progress. Okay, all right, but then I'll go ahead. I'll I'll go ahead and blow the froth off mine as well. And, well, now that we mention it, um, so we're drinking uh, Left Hand's Milk Stout Nitro, and if you want to know how where's that, Left Hand? Left Hand is from. It's a Colorado brewery. Okay. Um, they have a couple of really good. Uh, I think the first thing I had Long of theirs months. was their... It's not, not far from Boulder. Okay. Um, the, the first I had of theirs was Left Hand's uh, Blackjack Porter, which okay. is really good. This Milk Stout Nitro is a couple years old. Um, I really like it. They they do some gimmicky beers. There's a there's like a peanut butter stout uh, that I've had that they tend to... I think my, my personal opinion, I like gimmicky beers with vanilla and coffee and coconut and the, the different flavors. I'd try a peanut butter stout. That sounds good. But they a lot of places overdo it. I like yeah. subtle. On the one hand, I like powerful flavors, but when it comes to beers like that, I like something subtle. So we had talked about what right. to drink for Poe. Yeah, and I think we agreed that it had to be something dark. Oh, for reasons of tone, or because people in that time would have had probably beer. both. Uh, both, yeah, okay. I All think right, I both. Like and what I really—I t- mean, nobody drank an IPA in a Baltimore pub in 1840, right? Did IPAs? IPA shouldn't even, exist as far well, as well. IPAs—it's what the—it's what the British drank in in India, right? That's where it gets its name from. India Pale Ale. Yeah, so it that may have been sense. around in the 1800s. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that we, they weren't drinking lagers. Certainly not light beer. No. Um, I had a beer a couple years ago. I want to say actually 10 years ago at a place called the Townhouse in Baltimore. Okay. It was. It was um, Flying Dog Brewery. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard of it. Flying? No, not off the top it's of It's a Chesapeake, head, but... Mid-Atlantic, okay. you know, Maryland. Um, it used to be called, I've seen it called two, there's the Chesapeake Oyster Stout, and then there's the the, uh, the Pearl Necklace Oyster Stout. And it's a it's a, like a I don't know six, what's funny about that particular not type at all. of jewelry. And there's no, nothing, and we're not making any double entendres no, or anything no here. Single entendre? Um, but no, it's a really, it basically, the way I described it, I had it on tap. It was basically Guinness with flavor. Ah, okay. Um, which is why I, I was just telling you we have these beautiful Guinness pint glasses. But so you're not a fan of Guinness. You know, if anybody me. who's ever geeked out on beer, I think understands all the different things that beers are graded on. There's uh-huh. like there's lacing, there's mouthfeel, there's how easy it goes down, um, the flavors, blah blah blah. Guinness has everything but flavor. Like it's okay. creamy, it's nice, it's always yeah. poured on on tap. It's on nitro, has a beautiful head, beautiful lacing. It just has no goddamn flavor. We were talking about Sierra Nevada, uh, I, I think IPA, the, the pale ale, uh, on an earlier show that I did, and I was talking about how I may not drink that anymore, but it was kind of like a gateway beer for like better beers for me. Okay, because when you're young, you know, you go to parties and it's all Bud Light, Miller Light, whatever. Right. And I remember had somebody had a keg of Sierra Nevada. Expensive. And I, was, and I and I yeah, well it was it was like a grown up party. It was people in their twenties somewhere in the city. Twenties, grown ups in their twenties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So I had I had it. And I was like, oh wow, this is there's a whole new world of beers out there. And for me, Guinness was another early, okay. not just crappy light beer that I had. So I don't know if I really drink Guinness very often anymore, but certainly have fond memories of it. I try every couple of years just to think maybe it's going to uh-huh. be different. Okay, and it's never. I, they taste, say this doesn't taste terribly different from Guinness to me. I don't know. How, you're saying this is well. More, it's a, it's more a flavorful? milk stout. It's a stout. It's ni- it's poured on nitro. I mean, it's 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 uh, carbonated with nitro. Mm-hmm. Um, it, to me, it's a lot like Guinness, but it has flavor. Okay. When you talk about your gateway beer, uh, for me, it was Bass Bass ah, Ale. Yeah. I remember a lot. Of which I taste. Bass, which I drink. Right? If I drink now, it tastes like shit. I haven't had that in years. I don't. But to me, that. that was the. I'm 21 or right. I'm 20, and I'm right. I'm not drinking Bud Light, so I'm better. That you know, I'm more cultured or whatever it is. Well, let's be honest. When you're not 21 yet, you drink what you can get your hands on. Of course, it's difficult to get a hold of beer in this country. So maybe we would drink better beer in America if, in our beer drinking years, we were allowed to drink beer legally. Hey, I'm just putting that out there. Just putting that out there. But no, uh, Milk Stout Nitro from Left Hand Brewing. If you guys can get it, my friends on the East Coast, it's a nice. I'm looking at the bottle now. It's a it's a 6.0 percent ABV, but um. So I think we probably agreed. My my first introduction to Poe really was in ninth grade. Yours was a little bit younger. I was, little, I was very young. With an illustrated book. Illustrated book, yeah. Was, uh, Did it give you nightmares? I don't know if it gave me nightmares. I've never really had that reaction. You know, the only thing that's ever given me nightmares in my entire life was the movie Goonies when they take the kid's hand and they're going to put it into a blender to scare him. For some reason, that gave, that's the only time I've ever had a nightmare from a movie or a book or anything. It's funny you mention that. We were just in Albuquerque this weekend. We went to Flick's Brew House, took uh-huh. the kids to see Goonies. Really? And as I expected, awesome. I was I was very pleased that it was playing. Awesome. Um, as I expected, the eight-year-old was a little freaked out. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and as much as I love that movie, the older I get, the more it bugs me. And, and I've joked, you know, whenever somebody, you know, posts to social media about, you know, the movie, I always kind of have to add the line. Do you have any idea what it was like being a fat, ugly, 11-year-old Jewish kid named Lawrence when that movie came out? <laughs> That's funny. I was chunk. Yeah. I, I mean, was I'm chunk. sure you were neither fat nor ugly. I'm sure you were much fitter than you thought and a very handsome young man. Uh, I don't want to comment on any negative uh, perceptions you had of yourself as a child. but uh, It's okay, Dave. My friends like my friends asked me to do the, uh, the truffle, truffle shuffle, shuffle. more yeah, than, you know. Did. People are evil. More than anybody. And it's funny, like, the older I get, that sticks out of my head, you know, more than anything. Yeah. I, I love the movie. I, can't, I probably can't watch it enough. Yeah, it was good. I liked it a lot when I was a kid. We actually talked about it as an example of something that I would toast because I like it, but wouldn't be a classic, I don't think. I don't know if it's a great film of all time. Uh, we I think about that. We, we didn't do a sh- an episode on it, but we discussed it as an example of something. If we were doing non-John Hughes 1980s pop culture, like, kids movies... Right. Or tween teen, yeah. I think Goonies would be a classic. Now, you don't like any of the sci-fi stuff, like Indiana Jones and Star Wars and things like I'm that. Not into, sure. I, I have yeah, not okay. seen a, a Star Wars. The last Star Wars I saw was Empire Strikes Back, 1982. Well, that was the best one. So you you were in good company there. Yeah. Well, what what would we drink if we were talking about Goonies? Oh, Pacific Northwest. It would have to be like something some Deschutes, from like Astoria, Oregon. I don't, there's probably great beer up there. I would guess. Well, Deschutes makes that Black Butte Porter okay. in the Obsidian. Okay, and that's South. where Deschutes is from. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so not too different from what we're doing here. Yeah. Now. As you've gotten older, do you feel like you like Poe or more interested in his works or see them differently than you did when you were younger? I'm actually really glad that we're doing this show right now because I just did an episode on my podcast about H.P. Lovecraft, and Poe is one of his huge influences. And I've read a ton of Stephen King, and of course, Poe's a huge influence on Stephen King as well. So I've been thinking about going back to the originals and reading the old... old, Books that were the old works that were an inspiration on on those authors, um, and this is just really 
highlighted it by actually reading it. I mean, I'm it was, glad you mentioned Stephen quality, King. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Stephen King because I, I had that thought today. Is like I wonder if Poe was an influence. Absolutely, hundred percent. The Black Cat. That story is not just one of Stephen King's stories, but especially I was thinking of Pet Cemetery with the cat that comes back from the dead. And I was like, that's right out of this Poe story. Also, both Poe and Stephen King seem to share, at least on some Freudian level, a fantasy about wife murder that comes up in a lot of their works. Like No Poe. comment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but Stephen King has a bunch of stories and books that involve uh, that, and so does Poe, which is an interesting... I don't know where... You, I don't know if that's a Freudian kind of a thing or, or what that is, but um, there's a theme there. I don't, um, I, I've actually come to the conclusion, so so reviewing this book of short stories I have, The Best of Poe, uh, it says The Telltale Heart, The Raven, The Cask of Amontillado, and 30 Others, Okay, which I bought a couple years ago, and in all honesty, has spent more time, it's been sitting on my desk at work. Uh-huh. I like to take a break, you know, if I have gaps in my day sometimes, I like to do very un, undetective things, you know, yeah. and just kind of change gears with my brain, and the thing's actually been- mur- Murders in the Room Org, is that in there? I think so. That's the original detective story. A lot of people exactly. I just we didn't we didn't actually read that for this, but no. So I have I've, this book is several years old. I mean, I don't know. I bought it five six years ago. Like I said, it's probably spent more time at my what I call my office library than mm-hmm. than my home library. But um, in in reviewing and preparing for this episode, I've probably read more Poe in a shorter amount of time than I ever have. Oh, absolutely. Me too. Except that one. Trip, road right. trip with my parents when I was reading this terrifying book. Yeah. But I think I've come to the conclusion I actually don't like him that much. Oh, okay. I, I like him, but he's his his horrors are all very predictable. Okay. Like they have this similar theme: somebody di- somebody gets sick, somebody dies, well, and they think you think they're dead, but they're not dead. Usually, what we do on on my podcast is we talk about the books, and at the end, we sort of have like a little mini, not really debate, but a little conversation about whether we're toasting the classic. Okay. So that's definitely, I mean, what you're talking about there, I have some things to say about that um, that we, we could get into now or we could do it like sort of in the order that I usually do it. But I, I would say a lot of the reason it seems so predictable is because this is Edgar Allan Poe. This is the guy that created this genre for, for better or for worse. You he know was the I mean? first goth. Uh, there's, there's other people, especially other Europeans and other languages, that when I was sort of looking through some of the background, I was saying, oh, he's getting this from this guy and this from this guy. He's not entirely – one of his stories – I mean, like, the raven is something from Dickens. Like, the, the raven in the poem is, like, a copy of, like, a raven that talks in a Dickens story. And there's a couple of other people, French and Spanish authors, that he's taking certain things from. So he's, he's, he's in a continuity with other – works in other words but but this definitely for english speakers i think sort of defines the horror genre or, okay or, or I, begins it you know and i think it's interesting that you t- i didn't know that about the raven um and i i usually um dickens was the canterbury tales right no no that was, that was that was yeah. chaucer okay yeah dickens is um, christmas carol and some stuff like that which is also the raven early, seems kind of dark for dickens though well the raven was i think more of a comic figure in barnaby rudge it was like there just was a speaking raven, and it said some of the same phrases that come up in the uh, in the Poe in the Poe in the Poe the Poe poem is an annoying phrase to have to say, but there it is Poe poem. So you know what I was going to say before. One of the things that has always been really difficult for me, um, and it's still difficult for me to this day, is when be in English class at school and the professor or the teacher would be talking about the work. Like, what was so and so really saying here? And I'm like, right. I have no idea. I'm just reading the words. Like. Yeah. 
and I still don't have a knack. I don't know what that is. I don't know what you call that, like academically or, or, or intellectually. Like, what do you call that? Having a being able to interpret. It's just how concrete of a thinker you are. Probably, it's just a sense of. Well, first of all, you get used to doing it. So I've been doing this this show for it's a, a year now. We've got fifty something episodes that we've done, and you crank one out every, every single week, week. We do an episode, and you just get kind of into the habit of trying to think a little bit more about what the person's saying. Why did they bring? You know, somebody goes in in a movie. They pick up a book and they look at it for a second. You're like, well, why do they? Why do they look at that book? Let's ask some questions about that. You know, why? Why did this particular event happen in the movie? Why did they choose that symbol? You just get used to thinking of it that way. It's it, it stops you from being so concrete and just following the sto- the story, the narrative of what you're watching, and you start thinking about why the artists did the things that they did as they were as they were creating it. Um, which okay. is usually usually there's a reason. Like if you spend a year of your life creating a movie, you don't just throw things in right. randomly. Like okay. you thought about every single detail. Did so. you geek out on like American Lit when you were in school? Not really. No, I, I I enjoyed it to some extent, but it's never it was never a huge part of my. Uh, I don't know. I get by some to, by some people's standards. Yeah, I guess I'd say I probably did a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I um, you know, so a big Hemingway phase and things like that. So I, I now say I prefer Steinbeck to Hemingway. Um, okay. I'm a Twain and Steinbeck when it comes to like American literature. I had a bad experience reading The Red Pony when I was in uh, sixth grade. Okay. The same thing. It just upset me. There's like a dying animal that goes on for a long time, and it just stuck in my head as being unpleasant. And well, I can see that. I uh, they were. Just, I was just watching an episode of The Sopranos. We were talking about this Billy Bud. That's that's not Steinbeck, is it? Melville. It's, Billy, it's Melville. Okay. A little bit off track there, but so this era of of American literature, I'm not big on. This was more like this was. Poe and like Washington Irving and like Walt Whitman and mm-hmm. that's yeah, that's not an era that's not an era that I'm too into. I definitely prefer. Now, granted, I I tell you that that you're twentieth century guy pretty much like more twentieth century. But Twain's not. I mean, Twain is nineteenth century. Oh, okay. Well, but I mean, yeah. the, and the funny thing is, is if you read, I talk about how predictable Poe is. If you read Steinbeck, like, have you read mm-hmm. Cannery Row? No. You and I actually talked about maybe doing that for show, which I absolutely would do. We can um, do that too. It well, it's a book really about a bunch of drunks and and in, in, in Monterey, in Monterey, California. Yeah, that sounds yeah. interesting. I would definitely. Ha- want to have read you it. read Tortilla Flat? No. So they're both the same book. It's basically okay. a bunch of loser like like drunks who are basically their whole life is finding a new way, like finding a way to get liquor the next day. What a great thing to read while drinking! I think we should do it. Well, it's going to be kind of difficult, <laughs> but I, if you don't mind, I want to start with the fall of the House of Usher. Okay. And there's a, a specific type of writing that I that certainly is not something that I I wouldn't say that I'm not capable of. I'm not, you know, I I can write really well, having majored in history and having a, a father who was the best editor you could ever you know imagine. Right. Uh, somebody who corrected our grammar at the at the dinner table every night. Uh, I guess you. I don't know what would you call the writing I do at work? Would it be technical writing or oh, legal um, writing? Um, yeah, probably more like legal writing. Yeah, which is um. Everything, when I do creative writing, everything I ever learned in legal writing, I have to try to avoid doing because it's not. It's the exact opposite. And, and I hate it when sometimes at writing group, I'll put together a chapter and people will say, oh, where, are you a lawyer? And I'm like, okay, I wrote that wrong. I need to go, I need to go back to the drawing board because that's not what I'm going for. But yes, you are a lawyer. But yes, I am. That's true. So I, I looked, I, I'm going to start, I mean, right at the beginning, I highlighted this. He says, in, in the fall of the House of Usher, I looked upon the scene before me, upon the men ho- the mere house, and the simple landscape features of the domain, upon the bleak walls, upon the vacant eye-like windows, upon a few rank sedges, and upon a few white trunks of decayed trees, with an utter depression of soul, which I can compare to no earthly sensation more properly than to after to the after dream of the reveler upon opium. 
Yeah, right. The bitter lapse into everyday life, the hideous dropping of all of the veil. I thought that was such a strange thing for him to say. I never heard anything about Poe and opium. But then when you hear about how he died... It makes sense. I was reading that, and I was like, wait a minute, opium? Nobody talked about that with how he disappeared for three days and ended up dead and drugged on the streets of Baltimore. Well, The guy's, he was, which, the guy's doing opium? I didn't know that. It sounds very him, but we also know that it he does. was a drunk. But what we I know get from he was that- a drunk. Drinking was an issue. Drinking, like, all, I think destroyed his last possible marriage that he was going to... Oh, no, no. He was actually on his way to New York to announce that he was going to marry this woman when he, when he disappeared. So, yeah. Um, it, it it almost derailed his marriage, I guess, the drinking. Did you ever see that book, um, The Legend of, uh, Legend of Ichabod Crane? Uh, the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, Le- Legend um, of Sleepy Hollow. Actually, my son was really into it. It was called were, Sleepy Hollow. It was yeah, actually they read it with Johnny Depp. And, my, and he wanted to, no, I didn't actually see the Johnny Depp movie, but we got, my son was into reading the book, and so we watched the old Disney cartoon. Okay. If you remember that. I don't. With the croaking frogs and everything. No, but it- That scared me when I was little, too. It gives me a very similar, like, basically the intro or, or any part of any Poe short story, what conjures up in my mind is this really, this black and white, mm-hmm. kind of, like, low clouds riding through a forest and finding some, maybe a castle. I, I saw, so I saw that movie Sleepy Hollow with Johnny Depp. God, I would say I was on a date with this okay. girl named Blair- in like January of 2000. She of the Witch Project? She was not of the Witch Project. Okay. Um, that was right around that time, though. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been right <laughs> around that same time. Um, but that's what kind of conjures up this black and white, like creepy, sleepy hollow, like headless horseman. And that's pretty much how he describes everything. Uh huh. Yeah. Another uh, well, thi- Washington Irving is pr- pretty much before Poe. He must have been, must have been contemporary. Been insp- I, think he's, I think he's a little bit, be- well, maybe contemporary. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Within Actually, a couple, I mean, early early nineteenth century. Yeah, it, first is, it half. is early nineteenth century. But I'm trying to think whether Irving would have been sort of the first to do these kinds of stories, and then Poe. But I I don't know. Either so. way, the thing that I find very interesting is for a guy who did not come from money, he seems to always. Of course, everything is told from first person. You mean Poe? Yeah. Um, I mean, when we say he didn't come from money, he grew up pretty comfortably. It sounded like he was, he was adopted by a family that had some means in, in Baltimore, uh, sorry, in Richmond. And he had a pretty good education. It sounded like, yeah, they, I mean, he, he went to university of Virginia before he was yeah, exactly. gambling and drunk and university of Virginia sounded like it was awesome in the mid 1800s. I was, I was listening to this. I don't know if we saw the same I've, documentary, but the one I was talking to, they were talking about, they had to call in the police every day to break up fights and people were attacking their professors. Well, I partied like there in the early, the mid nineties. Yeah, I always I had a good time. So did I. So did um, I. But so maybe not old money. I don't know. It, it just seems like so when he talks about no going, old money, I don't think is there. Yeah, no, I don't think. That's but, but all of his stories. Well, okay, let's take the fall of the house of Usher. He goes to visit his friend, uh-huh. um, and the friend and his sister, are like the two last of their long line of whoever's mm-hmm. uh, living in this house, and they have the time to just live in this big house, right? And hang out for a couple weeks. Like he stays there for a couple weeks. Yeah, and they just. Yeah. They sit and they talk and they drink and they read to each other. I think his friend reads to him or something. Like, I just think it's it's interesting that he he always seems to have that. There's never like nobody. He doesn't talk about having a job or. I think that's what literary people were like back then. I think you always hear about these people. They have this immense amount of leisure time. You know, I I think it's when I read a lot of things that, that are from before about 1950. It always seems to me like, how does anybody ever write anything today? Because, like, we just did an episode on Dr. Seuss, and Dr. Seuss came up with his first book while seasick on a ship for, like, two weeks. And I'm like, when do you ever have two weeks of downtime in the 21st century? 
Are you ever just, you got nothing to do, maybe just write a story? I just, guess if you had money to travel in a ship, you had that you had that time because you, yeah. it took that long? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think it was just more common for people to just have lots of downtime. I, I feel like we're just assaulted by having something to do at all moments of our day today. What do you think that what do you think the 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 disease or ailment was that that his friend had? Remember he said he like it, the weird thing oh, is um, all of his senses got sharpened too, right? I think it's supposed to be like a psychic ailment of some kind, and I don't know whether he's got any modern conception of psychiatry to be giving him any particular. You're talking about the uh Roderick Usher. Yeah. Yeah. Um it seems to be just sort of a decadence. It's like their family has decayed, and the house has decayed, and the house has some kind of spirit that's infecting these two people and making them slip into. I mean, the, the, the see, woman, there you go. You're reading so much more into this than I. I mean, ever... I think you have to because there's not that much going on in the story. Otherwise, this one especially, I was reading, I was like, not much happened in this story. There was a lot of build up, and then there was there's kind of a climax, I guess, when the sister comes back from the dead is pretty. Uh, spoiler alert for something that's I was going to say, yeah, you kind of jumping, you're jumping ahead here, Dave. Yeah, but did, do you think that she had the same ailment he did? I think so because I think it's meant to be sort of a a sickness of the spirit, in other words. That's, okay, that's manifesting in their actually dying. I mean, why does he die? She comes into the room and she's, I thought she falls upon him and she's she he's like a fright. He just drops dead and I thought he may like is scared that she well because she died she comes back to life and she falls on him and maybe he. He, he's see, basically seeing a ghost and scares him to death. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I think I think in reality that's not a real thing, though. Is what people don't die of? Maybe they die of because, because everything Poe wrote was so real, right? But I mean, <laughs> their idea of psychiatry and psychic issues would have been completely different than the way we look at it. Uh, okay, well, this, the other thing is this house is so big that they have all these chambers and right. antechambers, yeah. and so he was afraid. He hit her for a couple of weeks because he was afraid these doctors were going to. He was, afraid, autopsy he was on her, afraid right? that resurrectionists were going to get a hold of her body, which is people that like dig up graves and then sell the body to medical students, which is either legal or not legal, depending on where you live, but was a common practice, like going back to the Middle Ages. Okay, see, I couldn't so, figure out why they were doctors, these wicked, you know, wink, yeah, wink, these doctors walking by him as he's walking in the house. and Right. That, okay, that makes Everybody's sense. Everybody's always trying to get a hold of a body because it was really hard to get a hold of bodies for dissection for medical school. And hiding her in some room for two weeks was going to... I don't know. Put her in deep freeze and chill her for a little while. Maybe she'll get just gross enough she wouldn't be worth dissecting and then... Well, know, then well this is the other thing, and we'll get to this when we talk about the telltale heart. Um, maybe they were just so used to... Obviously, this is early to mid-19th century. They didn't have quite the 21st century uh, sanitary and bathing. They must have stunk a lot anyway. He was just going to keep a dead body. Look, I have... So if you want to hear my overwrought theory of the week, which I like to do this at least once a week, I'll try to hold myself to this this time. This family is clinging to the Middle Ages because they're like an ancient family, right? And they got this old house and stuff. And modernity, which is the people coming in and wanting to dissect the body and they're part of science... They're af- he's afraid of that and wants to just bury her, and it's sort of a conflict between modernity and their old noble house. Okay. And their house just dies, I guess, at the end. I don't know. What do you, a, where do you think happens to the, to the house of Usher after the two? Well, it falls it apart. Physi- Physically falls apart. Okay, because he, cra- he keeps talking about the crack. He barely goes, see, expanded. Okay. So, so weirdly enough, the fall of the house of Usher is literally what happens in the book, which I that's actually – we usually do a thing called The Biggest Surprise – on our podcast, and how literal that was is my biggest surprise. It was like, oh, the actual house fall. It's not like the house. He talks like about that at the beginning. There's this crack that goes down yeah. the middle, right? Yeah, yeah. It actually just collapses into the 
glacial lake that's there. So I still think, again, going back to them having all this leisure time, like they literally just sit around for weeks and his friend reads to him. Yeah. Reads wouldn't a book. I, I forget nice. what he was reading to him. But, yeah. Um, and yeah, no, so I have to wonder, and I've been, as you know, I've, um, you know, when I was much younger, I could deal with it a lot better than I can now. Okay. Um, Downtime? No, um, foul smells. Oh. Um, I've, you know, unfortunately have to encounter deceased human beings um, right. on a semi-regular basis. Yeah. And um, you, you, have you never smelled rotting flesh? Oh, not human rotting flesh. I don't think. I've been around dead animals. Put- it's like a putrid. Yeah. It's almost yeah. a sweet. Like, I can't imagine it's too different. It's and... very unpleasant. Yeah. Well, um, and just the idea, and I'm like, you sat in a effing house with a dead body for two weeks? Like... Well, it is in a cellar. They put, they put her in a cellar, which is probably cold. But yeah, it's pretty pretty gross. It's a big house. Yeah, so. that's my first thought. And of course, yeah, it, this is he, the way he describes it. It's cold, wet, like. Yeah. And they, she was pretty deep under. Didn't wasn't it kind of an underground, like a cellar kind of? Yeah, it was a place that they used as a dungeon in the Middle Ages, and okay. then as a powder storage room, like in the modern period. And so, I mean, it's someplace meant to be set aside from the rest of the building for whatever reason. So as a general, generally, what do you give? Thumbs up or thumbs down to follow the House of Usher? I liked it more than I thought I would. I thought it was pretty good. I think it, I think one of the big things to note about it is I don't know if there's a haunted house in literature before this. I think this may be the haunted house. Now, I, obviously, that's something you'd want to research and find out whether that's true. But for me, this is what I'm seeing as being one of the first or the first haunted house in literature. It's got a lot. There's even the poem, The Haunted Palace, that he reads. So the phrase haunted house probably jumps out of this story. Well, I, could, I guess I could be wrong, but we could do our due diligence. There's and a say, house are of we, seven gables in Nathaniel Hawthorne. I right. Guess, are we, are we looking at this from a, a strictly Western? Well, we only can do English liter- English language because we don't speak these other. So exactly. Somebody is going to show up here yeah, and say, no, well, Chinese literature absolutely. has yeah. a professional literature person could, I'm sure, find some other. But then you'd have to ask, did Poe read that Chinese work and was he inspired by it? Or, is it, you know, I mean, this would be the thing that created it in our literature. But who knows? Do you, do you care to move on to the, the, the cask of Amontillado, yeah, sure, which I sure. actually think is one of the coolest. My, I think that's my favorite. That one stuck in my head. Again, that was in the book I read when I was a little kid, and even though it was creepy, I actually kind of dug it. Like I was like, this is this is weird, but I kind of like it for some reason. Now, there are several things that kind of uh, jumped out at me that I hadn't really thought about since I'd read this. You know, it had been, it's been, you know, a couple years since I'd read this actual story. Um, so what's his name? And I'm, I'm going to... Fortunato, it's not Fortunato, is it? Yeah, Fortunato. Montresor is the killer, and and Fortunato's the uh, the killy. The killy, right? The guy who gets sealed behind the mm-hmm. wall. So, who knew in nineteenth century Italy people were cosplaying? Oh, because yeah. remember he says well, for he's, carnival for carnival. It's a yeah. carnival, so yeah. he's dressed as like this jester, right? I saw a reference to it. Do you know? Do you know what? So this is another thing where you think about. It, when you get into reading a lot of literature, you say to yourself, "This guy's wearing a—he's a, wearing motley. He's dressed as a jester, court jester. Yeah. Court, why does he do that? Why does Poe choose to put him in that outfit?" And one of the interesting things I saw was—he wants to maybe embarrass his friend for—he wants to maybe that's good because he, like he that. kills yeah. him because the guy disrespects embarrass him, right? him by dressing him in something he's dressed up like a like a fool. Yeah, okay, but and he's drunk. But the bells all over his costume. In the 1800s, people were terrified of being buried alive. Of course. And so they would literally bury people with bells on their bodies. 
so, so that you could they, hear if they them. woke up, they could ring the bells and people would come and get them out of the grave. I don't know if that ever happened or worked, but it was definitely a thing that happened. So I was thinking that could be why. That, so Fortunato was expecting to die that day? or No, no, no. I mean Poe puts him in bells okay. to remind you of burial, of, of being buried alive. Okay, which again, we so, know. So I've heard, I don't know how much, how much truth to this. So of course we know that that was a big thing, a big fear back in that day. Yeah. Which and and Poe was, was terrified of that. Was he? Okay. And that somebody, I don't know if you could source this, but I remember somebody mentioning at some point talking about Poe that he was his great, he was dug up some years later and there were like claw marks at the inside oh, of his. That sounds apocryphal. That sounds like a myth to me, but I don't of, know. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll just go with it. I mean, that's it, great. It's, I like It's it. good for the I like story. It a lot, yeah. But that, that Where's he's buried to, in Baltimore? I don't know. Huh, okay. Um, but in any case, um, in all of these stories, it happens that somebody dies and somebody comes back to life. There's or a there's, lot of those, yeah. In all three of these stories. Well, there's the, there's murders and there's burial. I mean, House of Usher, the woman gets buried in the in the crypt and then comes back up. Right. Black Cat, the, the wife, is buried behind the wall. Telltale Heart, the, he buries the man beneath the, the floorboards. And the Cask of Amontillado, the guy's buried behind the wall. So, yeah, there's definitely a... Maybe there's no coming back to life here, but he... um. They all about death because the poems are about losing your losing your beloved, both Annabelle Lee and Raven. Right. Um, so in any case, he he tells Fortunato that. And now who's the third guy that he he doesn't trust? To, he was going to go to this other guy for an opinion. Lascio or something like that. Lascari. Lascari, I think it is. Okay. You should be the guy who's no good at, at judging. He doesn't know Amontillado from Sherry. That's what even Fortunato though Amontillado says. is Sherry, which is a really dumb thing to say. So, have you ever had sherry? Uh, no, I haven't. No, yes, I have. I got it once at a restaurant because I was like, oh, I think I'll have sherry because I've never had sherry and I don't remember the experience at all. So I don't I remember know t- sipping it one time on is it New Year's. Is it a sweet? I don't. I haven't had it since I was like ten years old. I had like a sip okay. of it in my uncle's house. It was gross. Mm. But I mean, any Everything alcohol you drink at that 10, age, yeah, exactly. So, but um, but Amontillado is a type of sherry. Okay. So Fortunato saying that the other guy doesn't know the difference between sherry and Amontillado is to show that Fortunato's. Doesn't know what he's talking Doesn't about. Doesn't know what he's talking about. And we never find out what exactly Fortunato did to him. No. Nope. Although it seems mostly to be based on they have a reversal of fortunes because Montresor comes from a from a noble family that's on hard times and Fortunato comes from a poorer family that's Who's, doing better. Right. So that's probably the entirety of the problem between the two of them is that Another thing that it takes me a while, and again, reading literature I have a hard time reading into things and kind of seeing where things are going. He starts talking about these catacombs and he mm-hmm. starts talking about having to move this pile of, of bones. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, where the hell in, in North America in the 1820s do they have catacombs? I think a lot of these stories take place in Europe. Well, no, this one takes yeah. place in Italy, but yeah. it didn't yeah, yeah. dawn on me at the time. Right. Which I still don't quite understand. I remember being, you know, studying history in college and thinking that did they wait till the body's completely decomposed to start stacking the bones all neatly or like how did that work because i've seen pictures and it almost looks like they were painstakingly there's places where they did that there's a church in prague that's really or outside of prague that's really famous for just being completely decorated with bones all on the inside but i'm talking about underground catacombs catacombs in paris i'm pretty sure what they did is they put a body and it would just rot away and and you would just if you were to walk through you'd come across bodies in various states of again like all this foul smell and it doesn't seem to bother. Yeah, that would be creepy. Yeah, that's got to be a, a really. And the and yeah. the pre planning that he has to do to have all that 
There's talk about him being a, whether or not he's a Mason, right? There's some discussion of yes. that. There's so Fortunato does like a Mason symbol. And, and Montresor doesn't get it. He doesn't get it at first. Makes fun of him for it. He's sort of, that's another thing. It's like the jealousy of like the guy who's making more money and doing better in life, essentially. Because I guess being a Mason would be, I mean, the Masons obviously control everything in our society today behind the, I mean, that and the, the Rothschilds. Those two groups are in charge of everything, right? And the Illuminati. But in those days, even more so, they were in charge. And the Illuminati as well, sorry. <laughs> I don't want to forget them and have them come after me. Right. But, so he, and he, he doesn't, I'm still trying to figure out how he actually, so so Fortunato's like piss drunk, and he's yeah. he's giving him more wine on the way down there. And so I guess he kind right. of gets behind him. and he, he gives him really good wine, and Fortunato just gulps it down and tosses the bottle aside. Which I also thought was kind of interesting because he passes it, likes to pass himself off as this like right. aficionado of wine. Right. He's not even tasting it. He's just. Exactly. There's multiple things showing that he doesn't know anything, which is. If you could think of some, so if Montresor hates the guy for being nouveau riche, that would be the number one thing. There Doesn't you go. Know anything about wine would be one of the things you'd. He's not sophisticated. Your if, if you're the guy who's who comes from a noble family with no money, and you got this nouveau riche guy, you'd make fun of him for not knowing about wine. I imagine that makes sense. Now, I, I, it's, it's not a hundred percent clear how he actually ties him to the wall. He's got some kind of chain. Chains. Yeah, he's got chains. Well, I guess Fortunato's drunk enough that he he's not able to put up much of a fight. Yeah, I don't know what kind of moves he used to put the guy in the chains without he he notice, got but. he let him walk ahead and he pushed him and like was basically to wrap a chain around him was able to lock him. Okay, and he puts like what seven layers of something like did they count how many? Yeah, he's going one. He's talking about first I got my through my them. first layer, then my third layer, and he's still talking and still trying to fight against the. They're big bricks because he's talking about having trouble lifting up in right. place. So yeah, maybe seven layers might do it. And it's I'm, I'm assuming because it's wet down there, he's got enough like water to mix all the like the mortar and. Yeah. Well, he's hidden it all under the bones. Under the bones. He gonna, moves the bones. Everything he's going to use is under the bones, yeah. so Which took, uh, obviously, a lot of planning and a forethought. And See, now, right there, I haven't thought about this, but if you want grist for your interpretive mill, the fact that he hid everything under a pile of bones, I guarantee the author intended something there. I don't know what it is, but that's where, when you want to get into interpreting something, that's a strange choice, right? He hid everything under a pile of bones. So... Or it was just convenient that he was in a catacombs. And... So you're being too literal. You're being too literal. I, I guarantee Poe had something else in mind there, but I don't know what it is. But Or maybe you, we could make something of the fact that you go down amongst the dead to drink all your wine. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, don't, and, you know, I should have my, my friend Liz here. Is, oh, it's, good, it's a good place to trick him. And then, and then when he's dead, there'll be, there'll be more bones down there and nobody will suspect anything because this is where bones go. But go. I guarantee there's a metaphor there as well. You we know? just haven't We, haven't we just it haven't yet. really peeled the... Uh, Peeled the wrapping off of it and understood it. Peeled the wrapping off of it. And There's a metaphor. It. That's pretty good. <laughs> now the telltale heart. The telltale heart. Yeah, that's the one that creeped me out when I was a little kid. But it, it did it creep uh, you out this time? I mean, it's pretty tough. It's pretty hard to creep me out now. I've I've read a lot of stuff, seen a lot of stuff in my life. Um, but I could see why it, it gave me the willies when it, there were also these drawings. It was an illustrated book. I remember the drawing of the old man's vulture eye. The, the, it's that like, light, what, did, what is it called, the light he, blue ice? Some kind of film over his eye. I right. Think. He's got, like, glaucoma or something, so this I can, guy I, it, hates him and wants to kill him for that, which is, you know, already. He, he actually illustrates that really well, because reading that, I can actually picture it. Yes, yeah. And and yeah. I maybe because he's using the term vulture, I can see he has this kind of this hookish. Yeah, big beaky nose. Hookish nose, like, yeah. like these, yeah, like, absolutely. circles under his eyes. Yeah. And, um, and, and what does the old man fall ill with? What does the old man fall ill with? What do you? Uh, I don't know. He keeps poking his head in to make to see if he's dead yet. Like he pokes his head in every night. What like, is he doing there? I didn't really. I thought that was sort of like to get the guy used to the idea of him creeping in at night. 
so that he could get in there and murder him. But then it doesn't really seem to use that. I don't know what's going on there. I, I remember he pokes his head in every night uh-huh. to see if, they, and then he makes like a noise. A yeah. yeah, and then finally the guy dies. And of course, now this is actually. Well, he doesn't die. Let's let's give credit where credit's due. The narrator well, goes in there purposes, and smothers him to death. Okay, so yeah, he goes in there and smothers him. But in any case, he, he's dead, mm-hmm. or at least we think he is. Okay. Uh, for purposes of, of the story, the chronology of the story. But, um, and then he, he um, this is probably the darkest of all the Poe's stuff. He actually dismembers him right there. Yes, yes, in a tub. In a tub. Goes and puts him in a tub and chops him up, which I'm like, that gets done in so much stuff in fiction, like in our, in our day. You know, you hear about that kind of thing all the time, like Fargo with the guy getting put into the wood chipper and stuff like that. Like, well, I just I just watched... That kind watched... of grisly detail must have really creeped people out back then. That would have been out of nowhere. Well, and again, and this is the only story I can think of of Pose where he actually dismembers somebody, but I was just watching that episode. You're a Sopranos guy, right? I saw it all, yeah. I think you're way more. I've seen, I, I will I literally watch that from episode one through episode like 84. Because you've seen it like multiple times. <laughs> multiple, multiple times. Yeah. I just watched season four where, where Tony kills Ralphie. Tony and he calls, oh, right, he right, calls right, Christopher right. over, they put him in the bathtub. And Joey they have to pants, dismember him. Joey Pants, right? The Joey yeah, Pants, yes. Joey pants, yeah. um, I just, well, he would talk about Joey Pants. He was just in Goonies. Uh-huh. I, I, I was watching He's in everything. I actually had, um, I don't mean to derail you, but just it comes up, it's an anecdote. I was at a, like an independent movie showing that Joe, Joe Pantoliano and one of his friends directed. So they were there in the audience with us watching this thing in New York. And we watched the whole movie. And I went out to go to the bathroom, like in the middle of the movie. And I opened the great big, you know, you open those big bat wing doors almost to get out of a movie theater. And Joe Pantoliano's standing on the other side of it. And I had this second where I knew I recognized his face. I knew I'd, <laughs> he was I'd that seen, guy. I'd seen his face like my whole life, but I was just like, I had this mode of being like, hey, it's one of my friends. It was like that kind of, and he just walked past me, you know, because yeah. he must get that all the time. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, you don't know me. I've been seeing your face since I saw Goonies when I was seven. Right. No. And in The Matrix and in Sopranos and I mean in everything. Well, there's an actual award. Have you I know we've talked about the rewatchables. Yes. The That's podcast they talk about and the, Joey the Joey Pants Award. Award. Yeah, it's exactly. the that guy that award. Guy, yeah, like exactly. who in this movie is the that guy? You right. see him everywhere, right, you don't right. know his name. But um how the hell did we get on that? We were talking about that because You started not to you said sorry not to derail you or something. <laughs> but I derailed you completely. You were talking about we... something that he was in. Uh, the Sopranos, the dismemberment. Oh, so with a dismemberment, and right, and they put him in the bathtub, and then and then Christopher. We have um, a pause. I might need another beer. Christopher, here's the here's the bottle opener. So Christopher, um, he's sitting in the bathtub, and Christopher goes to grab onto his head to go to like chop his head off, and his his toupee comes off. He also has the toupee and Goonies. There you go. Thanks, Dave, for. Dave's opening a beer and he's standing away from the mic. Yes, so that was a bad to... idea. I should have just walked back. I didn't want the like beer opening noise, but then again, that's a little that's authenticity. Com- yeah, that's, there you go. There's some authenticity. But again, so he again, this is where I'm get like they just totally don't get at all the idea that that a, a rotting corpse is going to effing stink. He pulls up the floorboards and like bu- like buries him, puts his body under the floorboards. Well, not, yeah, okay, if for future purposes. But when the cops show up, it's like three hours after he killed the guy. Either way, he's not like. But yeah, he's not making much of a plan for the future. And again, you know, we don't talk directly about what I do for my day job. But uh, I'm, I'm, as somebody who's investigated a few homicides, I plan to ask you about that. My with first, these stories, because these stories are about the psychology of the murderer. Right. Well, the, my first so, thought is like, that's gonna stink, dude. Like, you got to do something with the body. Did, do you like grunge music at all? 
Did you, did you like yeah, Grunt? You, you know was, Stone Temple I, Pilots? Right. The song Plush? Is that what that's about? What is I'm pretty sure that's about a body buried underneath the floorboards of a, under a plush carpet. And it's like, you know, when the uh, when the dogs come to find her and like the smell and stuff, like, he's like talking about like that. I never really looked it up or anything, but I remember thinking that's th- those lyrics so think, reminded oh, the me. the dogs can find you? Yeah. Okay. That one is starting to make a little bit more sense. Now. I'm trying to remember what the rest of the lyrics are, but I remember hearing it one time and I was thinking it reminded me of the Telltale Heart. It sounded like there was a body buried under this guy's floorboards, which I assume under a plush carpet. That's why the song is called okay. Plush, which otherwise makes no no sense. Well, it was grunge. Not every, not everything made sense. No, but, this is true. But I'm I'm just thinking. That's my whole line of thinking right then. Is like you dummy. Like you can't just put body parts. I was thinking the same thing boards. though. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. When I, and the fact that somebody maybe it's temporary, heard maybe he's planning on exhuming from underneath the floor later once the cops go away. But but he doesn't. When he puts them under there, he doesn't know that somebody in the somebody on the street hears a shriek or something like that. Yeah. Which I think it's the terminology. Somebody heard a shriek. Yes. And they summon yeah. the police, and, they, and then of course, what he can't hold it in any longer. The cops start to they look around the whole house, and, and do you know he, that? Do you know that happened in my family one time? We do just, tell. We were all at home one day, we're just like playing around. We're like having like a tickle fight or something, and like my daughter like shrieked, and you know we all forgot. Like two hours later, the police show up at our house, and they're like, "Somebody was walking through the woods, and they heard a scream in your house." And we were like, "What?" And we we're like, "Oh, that was that was just us playing around." I'm like, "What? What kind of nosy neighbor?" Where was this? This was back in Virginia, that at our house in Virginia. Ouch! About Ten years ago or something like that. But, but we, were, we were okay. We didn't get in any trouble. But in, in any case, probably on a list somewhere. You're on a list. I can find out for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might be. Thank you. It might be outside the scope of what I'm really supposed to do, but yeah, you know, I do have access to information, Dave. But is that like something like that would turn up? Like if you were looking up something about somebody in Fairfax County, Virginia? You could so there's it? this thing called Lynx, and it's okay. actually, oddly enough, it's run by the Naval Investigative Criminal, NCIA, Native Criminal Investigation Service. And it's it's the only departments that contribute information to it um are technically ones that have this have a navy base or, or a coast guard base nearby and i don't know how we're involved because we're, we're nowhere near water but i can literally um i, I was doing a background check maybe on the a couple of years ago i found some water a coast guard goes and i don't know <laughs> hundreds of thousands of years so, ago yeah. no it's interesting though the things that the things that you can find I actually was doing a background check on somebody a couple of years ago and i found some reports from fairfax county police okay so that i would there. not have found otherwise all right um okay. so you never know all right. Um, but those things get audited once a month, and I would never do anything. I, a lot of, you have to attach a case. Numbers, you can't just do it like, recreationally, just looking people Well, up, you could. Look up your I mean, college girlfriend you or might, whatever. And you might be she's... looking for a job. Yeah, okay. All um, right. You would never do that. Yeah. Exactly. No, not, no I, I got bills to pay. Although right. I am eligible to retire, so at this point I'm like. There you go. Any day I feel like you know going off the deep end and going, what's his name, uh, Michael, and falling down. Oh. When you just lose was, it and you're like, you yeah. know what, I could just retire. I'm going to take a month vacation yeah. and turn in my papers. No, I wouldn't do that. But yes, I I really could find out that information. Okay. Now this was, of course, of course, the third of the books that we talked about, and we've gone in order. So as I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. well, of course he's going to kill somebody, and he's going to do something with their body that's not going to hide the stench very well. And then, of course, um, well, that's what I was going to ask you about this. So a lot of this is about the psychology of the guilt of the murderer, right? Or even these guys seem kind of like sociopaths. So I don't know if it's guilt, but it's like the fear of being caught makes them give themselves up, especially Black Cat and Telltale Heart. Same story in a lot of ways. They freak out they, and they let the cops know that they've killed somebody. And I wanted to let I wanted to ask you whether in real life do killers did they just you never know that they killed somebody? They just cover it up 
and they they don't show any signs of guilt, or do people actually freak out like this and not able to? Yeah, I'm sure it's possible. And like you know, I'm, I can't sit here and say that I've you know investigated dozens upon dozens of murders. I mean, I, I have. I'll pat myself on the back. I've got an eighty percent clearance rate on my homicides. But um, okay. as far as the psychology. I, I can't even read that far into it. I can tell you the psychology now I've had, and this is amazing. Um, it's not uncommon. You know, I investigate a lot of child sexual assaults mm -hmm. and you, sometimes people are dumb enough. You'll call them up and they'll actually come in and talk to you. You know, no attorney, no nothing. And, um, what I have found That's is not these, dumb, by the way, people accused of sexual assault out there, please continue to go. Yes, into, please show into, up and talk uh, to me. Detective Andrew's office. <laughs> um, but the, the, so this is the thing. And the best I can tell their psychology is this. If I show up and keep my cool, yeah, then everything will be good. Okay. And every and, damn one of them. do people keep their cool when they're talking to you? Do people freak out? Do people? No, no. The people keep their, these guys who make the decision, they've done these horrible things. They make the decision to come in and talk and they, they're like, hey, if I just stay cool and don't lose my, don't get indignant. And, mm -hmm. and that's to me one of the telltale things, you know, if I, and I'm very clear and I'm very methodical and I'm very detailed. Right. And I take what I learned during interview from somebody who has had these things done to them. Right. And I basically spit it back at this person and I get really detailed. Yeah. And I say, did you do X, Y, Z, one, two, three? And I go through the whole thing. And anybody who has any conscience, anybody who has any brains about them, and anybody who didn't do this would lose their effing mind and be like, are you crazy? Yeah. Are you kidding yeah. me? And yeah. get up and walk out. These people keep, these guys keep their cool. Right. And they just figure, hey, if I just come in here and stay calm and deny everything and make up, you know, bullshit excuses for everything, it's all going to be good. And I can tell you that every single one who's come in and done that is in prison now. Yeah, wow. So keep coming in and talking to me without yeah, your attorney. exactly. Please. I don't even know if we should put this out there because these are people I definitely want you to <laughs> continue your clearance rate on. So. Right. Now, poetry. I'm going to tell you right now, I have zero effing use for poetry as an art form. Not a big poetry guy. But but I know it's a character flaw in myself. I don't think poetry is Why is it a character bad. flaw? I don't think poetry is bad. I think poetry is beautiful, and I'm glad there's poetry in the world. I have sort of a blind spot to enjoying it. And I, 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 I judge myself, not poetry, is what I mean. I'm always like, because occasionally it gets through. And like, you listen to music. Sometimes the lyrics reach you in a way, and that's poetry, right? Yeah. So... The 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 way that people condense their language into something beautiful and do something really cool with it, I have a lot of respect for that, but I just have a little bit of trouble really fully appreciating it. Um, I didn't love the poems. I don't think it's a character flaw at all. I look some look each of us enjoys and can appreciate different art forms. And not all, you know, we don't like all of the different arts. Someone forms. came in here to do the podcast with us. We did another Toasting the Classics episode, and they came in here with their favorite beer, and it was Miller Lite. Would that be a character flaw? Absolutely. Okay. So they're not appreciating something that you love and that brings joy <laughs> to your life and that is an art. No, I would just say I feel flaw, sorry you know? for somebody like that. That's what I'm saying. Maybe they haven't had the opportunity myself. to drink real beer. Right. I feel sorry for myself for not being able to appreciate poetry the way that I know some people can. I know professional poets. I know people that do it like as a job, and I know they're great, and I just I, I can't really— It's not an art form that speaks to you. Not really. I like a good—maybe it's really. the 12-year-old boy in me, but I love a good limerick, <laughs> especially a dirty— not, you Was know. Edgar Allan Poe, was he from Nantucket? Stop right there. Okay. This is a family show. Ah, uh, okay. All right. All right. I think, and those of you who ever read Truly Tasteless Jokes, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, <laughs> that you used to be able to get it. It's not, it wasn't Crown Books. What was the one? It was It was where Mr. Walden Books? Walden. Was that the one where Mr. Know. Smith's used to be? Before Mr. Smith's was there? Oh, my God. You mean Mr. I'm Smith's talking about in the Crown. early 80s. 
Mr. Smith's in Georgetown, you're talking about? No, I'm in Tyson's, Pike 7 Plaza. Oh, that would have been a Walden Books or a Crown, yeah. It wasn't Probably a Crown. I think, crown. It, I think it was no? a Walden. Okay. Yeah. But I remember being, you know, 10, 11 years old and getting the truly tasteless yeah. and reading nice. about the man from Nantucket who's... Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, we all know it. Yeah. I can I can appreciate... I literally just have to refer to this one poor island off the coast of New England where that happens to rhyme with... Uh... So basically, sophomoric humor, if your poetry yes. inc- includes something like that. Um, all right. I, you know, I actually dig, I dig haiku. I used to write haiku all the time because I could do it. Right, because any idiot can five seven write five haiku. thing is pretty easy to do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not. I don't, I'm not into Shakespeare's sonnets, but I'll read a limerick yeah, and some haiku yeah. all day long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I don't really have anything to say. The, the thing I do know about Annabelle Lee, and I just read something about this today. So in Annabelle Lee, he's talking about it's his young love, and so I guess maybe we can start talking about because pretty we, obvious to me it's his lost wife that he married when she was young. So there's a whole bunch of debate about it I saw on the internet, but I was like, it's pretty clearly. The interpretation I saw was that it was a young love of his, but he had all of these women in his life, not necessarily romantic But interests. he married his first cousin. She was much younger than him. She right. died very young. He must have been just devastated by it. And it sounds, the, the words of the poem seem to fit. They fit, but at the same time, all of the women in his life died young. His mother, his biological mother, died, mother died at 24 of right. tuberculosis, yep. and then his foster mother, and then he had that, it was his best friend's mother, who also died young. Was that who it was? I was trying to. I thought it, it was, was just his friend. There was there was a woman that died when he was young, and then there was his wife that died when she was young, and it's just. No, I think you're right. I think though people generally think it was a young love, but I was going to say the difference is there was a very high mortality rate for white ladies from consumption in the 1800s. Apparently, I'm just saying. consumption. Yeah, childbirth, consumption, childbirth, consumption, everything. Yeah. So. Well, you know, and another us guys, thing, if we didn't go off to war, I think we were fine. Or if we didn't drink ourselves to death. You know, you know there's so much we could actually and and and. and you're right. We we talked about this the other day. We could probably do an entire episode of probably one of these stories, trying no, to squeeze totally, all these totally. in. People make careers about this. Might stuff. be a tall order, but one I don't of the know things if anybody would want to listen to us talk about each one. I, as a matter of fact, I don't know if anybody's still listening to us now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, this is right. going on the longest podcast, and I'm not drunk or anything, but I am feeling a little bit of my. I feel I'm, it. I'm I feel up it. a little bit. Yeah, I feel it. It's not too bad. I can still drive home. I'm not yeah. going to have to nap in the parking lot. Yeah. Um, so so th- what I didn't know until I watched this doc, we all know that he went to West Point and got kicked out. He actually enlisted before that. He was an I enlisted soldier. I did not soldier. know he went to West Point. You did he went to UVA. I knew he was in the military. Did he go to West Point? So he actually, before that, he enlisted I missed that and apparently was a good soldier. No, I, I heard he was a good soldier. I heard about that. At, but I didn't as an enlisted okay. soldier, which to me... You know, I think if you're used to the easy life, military is not going to be military life is not going to be very comfortable for you. But he, some people, if they have a lot of psychological issues and they can't like figure out what to do with their lives, they the like military the structure. is exactly what they need. Yeah. So he apparently them. was a very good soldier, and then ended up with an appointment to West Point, and then just got sick of the whole thing and stopped showing up to drill and stopped showing up to yeah, okay, stopped showing up to class and got kicked out. But um, th- there's basically the the the. He keeps talking about in Annabelle Lee. He's he's pretty sure that he's going to see her again someday, right? As opposed to the Raven, and then he gets his answer in the Raven. He says never more. Right? He's not going to see her anymore. Oddly enough, remember the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, like one of the first ones, was like quote the Raven, eat my shorts. I, I remember eat my every, shorts. I'm not a huge Simpsons. Every guy. time I hear quote the Raven, never more, I think quote the Raven, eat my shorts because of that. I know I don't remember that, but um. Shit, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, my! so my oldest sister, Sorry, Leslie, <laughs> was married on a riverboat in Richmond called the Annabelle Lee. Oh, nice. We had we had the wedding. Um, no, we had I like the wedding. that. I was at the wedding. I like that. Um, this is your sister? 
My yes, my oldest sister Leslie, nineteen ninety seven, I believe, so okay. many eons ago. Um, but this is the other thing that I I thought um, you know when when you talk about a twenty seven year old man who marries his thirteen year old first cousin. Mm-hmm. By the way, not outside. It is not that is. What am I trying to say? Not that weird for those days. Not that weird for those days. And believe it or not, in the state of New Mexico, first cousins are still within the lawfully allowed degree of consanguinity. I think that's true in a lot of states, actually, yeah. But the 13 would be not even in New Mexico. So in New Mexico, you cannot consent to any sexual act under the age of 13. However, until you are 16, you can't consent to sexual acts on anybody more than four years older. So a 13-year-old can consent to a 17-year-old, a 14 to an 18, a 15 to a 19. Once you turn 16, you can do a 90-year-old and it's... So, okay. Oh, interesting. All right. Interesting. In any case... So you're case, saying like, like, we don't, like, like a, it's 17 is just fine for anybody. 16 is fine for anybody. Right. So right. a 16-year-old oh, okay. could, could get it on with a 90-year-old and a, unless that 90-year-old's in a position of authority, like being a teacher or a, or a... And then it would be illegal? Then it would be illegal. because really? Exactly. Until they turn 18. Because that, that you could be said that that person use, was using their position of authority. Oh, I didn't realize that was a law. That's interesting. I, th- I know. I know that's like wrong. Yeah. Like we, you know, that in our the Me Too culture and stuff like that. But I didn't know that was actually a law. That's not just Me Too. It's it's kind of gross. No, no. But I mean, in terms of, I thought that our culture as a whole had turned against that sort of thing because of the Me Too movement. I didn't realize that that was actually a law. That's some. Um, so when I when I think of twenty seven year olds who marry their thirteen year old first cousins, you think of Edgar Allan Poe and Jerry Lee Lewis, right? Yeah. But. Yeah. If you watch this documentary and you talk about how, so he had, but she was going to be like married to somebody else was the reason why he decided to lock it down. I don't. I there was no, a, there was a whole storm in the family. She was going to be promised to somebody, and he was like, "No, like I want to marry you." So everybody's like, nobody had a problem with her getting married when she was thirteen. I guess is my well, point. and they said in the doc that that wasn't necessarily outside the norm. But right. I now I didn't get that. What I got was the take was he was so lonely and had so few biological relatives mm. that he had this aunt who had lived in Baltimore who had this 13-year-old, you know, uh, Clem, what was her name? Clem Jones, maybe? It, it, whatever it was, he, and so this is funny, they, um, you know, they never had any children, so that begs the question, I mean, did they, did they not consummate or, in any case, it was described in this documentary that he was not looking at her necessarily as a as a romantic interest mm. that he really was looking for, for family connection and they even said when he would come home from work she would run out the front door and greet him with this big hug kind of like your dog or your kids do you know you come home from work yeah. yeah um but that he also tried to he paid for her private tutors and he paid for her music lessons um and they would sit around taught her algebra he, did he teach her algebra mm-hmm. yeah there was a story about how he, he taught her algebra and some other subjects and stuff like that in any case like every other woman in his life she ended up dying young right um i've talked about all i want to talk about what else what do you have dave is there thing you said there are some things you do in your podcast we always talk about so i have this we didn't talk about the red death um it's not much to say i mean it's um essentially a metaphor for death how it's kind of like the way it finds you no matter what you do sounds like ebola to me the way he describes it. It's just an imaginary disease was the impression I got. It wasn't any... Bleeding it, through it, your you pores. Bleeding through your pores and you die in a half an hour. That's not a thing. I mean, that's... that's be, that sounds like Ebola. Yeah, well, I guess so. Even Ebola doesn't kill you in a half an hour, but it, you know, it's, it's something like that. But the, the point being that these people ensconce themselves in a fortress with all the 
the best things in life and they think they can get away from this plague and then it sneaks in and kills them all. And it's like, well, it's pretty much, that's death. No matter what you do, death is coming. Death and old age are coming for you. And the rooms in the house are different colors, which apparently in those days, those colors were like coded to different parts of your life. Like blue was birth, black was death. And so all the rooms in this house and the, anyway, so I don't know. I didn't think much of that story. It was, you know, it's okay. It's a little pithy metaphor but not too but much but you also there. said something when you get to the end you ask if it was toastable we all well we yeah we do we do two things we do what was your biggest surprise because i i have a tendency to think that when we actually sit down and read a classic there tends to be something in there you didn't think was going to be in there my example is always when you sit down and read the iliad the battle of troy there's no horse it's not in there you know everybody just talks about the trojan horse that's not in the iliad doesn't happen it happens in some other roman story years and years later um, so I always think of what it, you know, when, when we, when you sat down and confronted this text, what did you not expect? What, what did you catch? I, I think that, that I kind of touched on it before is I had read a good half dozen of his short stories, uh-huh. but I had never read more than one within a couple of years of each other. Yeah. So sure. reading these all together, things kind of all came together for me. Like at least all of his tragedies or all of his horrors, they're all, they're all the effing same. It's like, the exact same thing. I everybody say. dies. Yeah. Yep. They completely overlook the idea that you can't bury a body without it starting to stink. Within you know, <laughs> right? Again, right. I'm sorry, I'm bringing my real life yeah. into this. Um, so and your then, concrete observations about how to murder someone. And this then is, don't don't just bury them in the house, especially if you live. And in by the, the way, especially if you live in like Virginia or Maryland, where it gets quite humid in the summer. It grows. This is not going to go well. No. And to be perfectly honest, I've thought about this. I know way too much about how to find a killer and solve a homicide sure, sure. that I could never kill somebody and hide a body with any confidence. Cause it's like knowing. Oh, I thought tech- you were going to say the opposite. I thought no, you'd, no, you'd no, no. Like I would really be good at it. No, I would oh, be too okay. scared of getting caught because okay. I know of all the, all the different investigative techniques and sure th- science that's out there that could lead me. Like you literally can't, I mean, something as simple as you leave your goddamn cell phone at home because we can track your tower movements and yeah. get tower dumps. Well, and- that's what Durst did. You see that thing? The, um, that guy, Dur- the guy, his last name was Durst, and he like murdered multiple not women. Not Fred. No, it's not Fred. Not the guy from Limp Biscuit. Right. This is a, the murder that was on the HBO special, and he was like, you, they could tell he had turned off his phone, like left his phone and gone. And they were like, he had just enough time to drive here and drop off the body, and he understood. Yeah. You know. I actually had my first, which is, which is circumstantial evidence that you can't use against him. Turning off. Well, your no, phone but and it's, one it's one piece of right. you know a whole bunch of right. my first homicide I ever had. We had a couple of it. You could. You can't tell when a phone powers off, but you can p- tell when it powers on. So, okay. and we could see several powering on events within an hour or two after he committed the murder. Right. But no, you can't. I, that's I've that have to be part of a whole bunch of other things. That, oh, of course, that no. You, you put it. Jury. You, you put yeah. it. You put it with a you know a million other things to kind of make your case. But right. lest anybody think I'm, I've thought about this because I actually do want to kill somebody. No, it's just one of these things that you think of. <laughs> I'm not planning on killing anybody. Everybody be but, nice um, to Larry. And no, no, again, we've we've gotten derailed. Um, yeah, no, we so talking, there's so a predictability. I, you, like what you're saying about your biggest surprise about the commonality between these, between mm-hmm. these stories is exactly what I was going to say. The, the the burials in multiple books and the dead woman in multiple books and some like, people coming back to life and this being is buried one alive. Guy's and, obsessions coming out in the course of his work and his psychological obsessions. I mean, so if I were to try to analyze them as literature, it's almost like, am I or am I just analyzing what he dreams about at night? It's not even so much like a a conscious metaphor as the things that scare this guy. You know, you know, I would love to see an FBI profiler 
of, break, of Poe? Break him down. John Douglas oh, or one of these guys. Guarantee it's been done. You know he had that enemy that, that, that they had like the back and forth. I can't remember well, the guy's it, name. Longfellow, he had a beef with Longfellow. He I mean, did, long before rapper beefs. Was it Longfellow was the guy that I'm talking about? I think about it that was. He did, what did he say? He, he, he really, he roasted somebody. Was it Longfellow? I think so. Yes, he called Longfellow a plagiarist. Right, right. Literally accused him of plagiarism, yes. Yeah, they had right, beef. Yeah. They had beef long yes. before Biggie beef and Tupac. Everybody. Apparently he had a big mouth. He would write these terrible reviews He would probably get drunk and talk shit about people. And Yeah. Also, you know, a lot of writers really like to crap on other writers. It's like something they like to do. I'm telling you, it was um, just predating, you know, rapper beef, street yeah. beefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like Biggie and, and Tupac. You know, anything else, day. Dave? Anything else you yeah, want to Yeah, we need to? to decide whether we're toasting this classic. I'm to oh, absolutely. Oh, I thought you said you didn't like Poe as much as you no, did No, I don't like him as much as I used to, but I mean, you can't not. Okay, okay. It, now, let's, I mean, I'll drink to anything, but. Right. We're going to no, drink no matter what. We are so going to, we're going to drink not, no matter what. Your drinking is not contingent on whether you toast. We're just deciding whether we toast. No, I'll toast him. Okay. He's All definitely right. worth it. All right. Let's, um, I'll raise a glass can we, as well. Can we do this? Yeah, are we sitting? we can. We can. And we did it loud enough. That was going to be my next question. That was actually pretty impressive. Even off, even off mic, I think that's going to sound good. And I think I gulped loud enough. Yep. You, one of the, you know one of the things, and you'll notice this because we're going to be doing a little farewell thing this next coming up weekend. You guys are coming get, over this weekend, right? right? Get awesome. within a couple feet of my wife when she drinks something. Okay. She gulps the loudest. Does she do the little kid thing where you go, <sighs> She doesn't do that. Okay. But you can hear her gulp from across the room. Nice. It's one of the first things I notice about her, and annoys the shit out of me. Wow. And my kid, uh, the older one, so Lily really, does it's it too. just you just think she's super cute. That's why you married her. It's you, you can't stand. That's another whole podcast, Dave. Like oh, okay. Nice. We can talk about that. Anything else? I'm I'm literally Are we out toasting of... our wives. We're gonna do a podcast on that. Like, is my wife a classic? Is your wife? A we classic? should do a live podcast Sunday night from your house. Yeah. Oh, that'd be with all of us. We're all gonna get super drunk. That would be fun. I could set a mic up on the table. We could do something like that. It's a go. All right. uh, David MacArthur has been my guest. Uh, this is a crossover podcast. I do the Square Peg podcast. Dave does the... Toasting the Classics podcast. And where can people hear the Toasting a Pod... To toasting, the, toasting the Classics is available anywhere you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify. You can go over to your Alexa and you can say, Alexa, play Toasting the Classics podcast and it will come up with... Do you ever have problems episode. with Spotify? Do I have problems? How so? Uploading or like... There's a lag, but that's okay. You know, I, I actually actually upload on Podbean is where I do my podcasts, and Podbean is another service you can use to get podcasts. Um, and once I load it on Podbean, it's like a half an hour before it's up on Apple and Spotify, but I haven't had any problems otherwise. And and, and I'm going to say that you do a lot more work on your podcast than I do because I'm literally just the talent. I come here it's, and put my shitty voice on record, yeah, yeah. and my producer, Lindsay, does literally talent everything else. is not a else. word I would use to describe my contribution to the podcast, but well, yeah, I definitely put in the sweat and the tears. So There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed uh, Dave and me rambling and drinking uh, and talking about Edgar Allan Poe. Um, this is actually the season finale for season four. Oh, and wow. And I talked about- Wow, I you feel know, like I, I have a place of importance. That's nice. Well, I mentioned last and week- And we closed last season with my wife. With Karina talking awesome. about fat surgery. I'm, I'm sorry, bariatric surgery. We don't say the F word. <laughs> you can tell I've been drinking. <laughs> I said fat surgery. Yes, we did. No, I thought about that last week when I was interviewing um, a really good episode with uh, another a professional colleague of mine, actually. Um, I was announcing this episode, and I said, you know what, I'm to think of it. The end of season three, the season finale for season three was Karina talking about her job as a bariatric surgeon, being an immigrant from Ukraine, from all places. Yep. Uh, and, then, and you know what? I've actually done 
I did my season one finale and my season two premiere for a husband and wife couple as well. Yeah. So a little bit of a theme going on. There we go. Ladies and genuine. Ladies I, and genuine. The, the, ladies and genuine. I shit you not. Like Are you years. saying ladies aren't genuine, Larry? Is that ladies that? and genuine gentlemen. Um, thank you very much for listening to the Square Peg Podcast, uh, the crossover episode with the Toasting of Classic Podcast. I mean, Larry some email and request that we do more of these. This was. Hey, and if you don't know, we are squarepeckpodcastlc at gmail.com, just in case you want to email us. Of course, you know we're on Facebook and Instagram. We will see you guys next season. All right, peace out. Later. Hey, if you are having a wedding uh, and you need a photographer or videographer, if you are a local artist in southern New Mexico or West Texas area and you uh, need a video, a music video made, uh, a real good place to go is my, my friend Isaac Powell Fox's business, Palomore Productions. They're located pretty close to Las Cruces downtown. And uh, you can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram and all those different places. Uh, you can also get them at uh, www.alamora.com. For all your weddings, music videos, and anything else you need, a professional videographer or photographer. The Square Peg Podcast. Mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. Proudly produced by LasCrucesToday.com and Bravo Mike Communications.